side of the chapel and then maybe exit on this side. This is not like we're going to be doing fo photographs or uh, interviews or something like that, but I just want to shake the hands of every youth and child. And I was on that side of the, of the stand, uh, which I'm not... I, I found it interesting, by the way. I thought it was interesting that I'm sitting on the stand. That's weird. No, you wouldn't think that you'd stand on the stand if you sit on the stand. <laughs> I know my brain goes that way. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the stand instead of standing on the sit. And, and he had, had, had invited all to do that. As soon as the closing prayer was said, the wave came. You could see all these kids with kind of bright eyes and coming up the aisle as fast as they could go. And I was literally unable to move from where we were for the next half hour. As the kids were streaming up there and just excited. In fact, one little guy came up and he shook my hand and then turned around and walked back in. I said, no, 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 the apostle's over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I asked my, I asked my uh, uh, granddaughter that. You know, because she, she shook his hand and she was still just like a little, like little Irish setter. She just still kind of <laughs> wagging her tail. So, yeah. I like the fact that he said that they're going to try to get out, per the prophet's request, get out and visit yeah. the stakes on a more regular basis and, and cycle through balance in about every four years. Yeah. That's so, so much. Yeah, that's comforting. Yep. So. Uh, good experience for those in the Plano State. Yeah. I was talking to Dolores, yeah. the woman who's blind. Yeah. And she said her granddaughter insisted that she go up with her, so they were probably the last one, and he gave her a hug. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I saw Dolores coming up to, to, to do that. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I thought Elder Vincent talking about his, you know, the trial of, of going through where his, his wife's parents would Exactly. Yeah, Elder Vincent's Elder Elder Vincent's parents, who are uh, staunch Catholic, uh, and I thought it was kind of poignant that he said that uh, uh, in, in explaining to his dad that he was going to actually join the church, he said that. Uh, his dad, when he was younger, had taught him to box. Yeah. And he said that uh, he needed those skills to be able to dodge, literally, uh, when he explained to his dad. Yeah. It was a very ugly incident, uh, you can just imagine. And he is from Australia. But I have good parents, yeah. And it took him a long time before they finally saw. And then he said, part of what happens with even those who don't understand is they have to come to know us and see what the church does for us. Um, and you know what, and I was, actually it's funny you say that, I was, I was, that was kind of on my mind on Sunday morning, because we were, uh, we had a bishop's training uh, on Sunday morning, uh, 6 a.m., and we're all a little bleary-eyed uh, in there, with state presidency, and I, and I was listening to the topics about how, how to reach out and serve and bless the lives of those, and how to, and work with the new uh, website, justserve.org, and, and all of the things that we were doing. And then I thought about all of the naysayers that attacked the church 
I thought, here is a group of people here at 6 a.m. to try and figure out how to reach out and bless and serve the lives of other people. And it's funny that for that we were branded as extremists and cult-like and, and all that. And it's, it's really those that don't understand us that attack us the most. Because you just get that sweet service that is, is provided by all of us trying to do what we do. So, awesome. And that's really going to come into play by the time we get done here today, the discussion we're about to have. Yeah. I Jeff. mentioned um, to a lot of strangers that I'm a Mormon. And what I'm hearing back from them is interesting. They talk about the using the Bible videos in their churches. Really? And yet the members I talk to, I go, have you seen the Bible videos? They're watching it, and not all of us are watching, <laughs> watching them. Sometimes our resources are available, and, and we're not even taking advantage of the resources that we have. Great point. The lady, I asked, I told Leah, oh, what is that? And I said, well, the Bible videos? And she goes, oh, Yeah. Oh, is that Mormon? We've been showing Mormon videos? Oh, no! you don't have access to LDS or most of your Ward clerk and get your member ID, you can go to the site. You can also go to the YouTube, by the way, and just because those are all posted on YouTube. Okay? Yeah. Um, the Reverend John Hagee of John Hagee Ministries in San Antonio is the brother to Bishop John Hagee, or Bishop Bill Hagee in Kentucky. He's not Bishop. Um, he uses all our stuff because he believes that he can't afford it. He's got a private jet and other things that, you know, he takes a couple of them to Israel every year. And he, he really would like to be a Mormon, just can't afford it. Yeah, they <laughs> take too big of a pay cut. So, he's making thousands of dry Mormons just ready to go. Yeah, and I, I expect that will happen on the other side. So that doesn't yeah. Confirmation, especially about the last 10 minutes. Uh, what, yeah. Those of us who are stuck over here in this building are having jealousy I had people that were showing up that they drove like crazy over to the chapel to take their kids over there. It was the second wave coming from Legacy here. I know. I know. Yeah. The minute we got home, Mike was so sad. Yes. Even on short notice, we were trying to figure out, is there another venue that we could use? And there just didn't seem to be. I know. And I, th- I, I would really think in the future that's probably something we've got to look at because it was, a, was an interesting experience. So. Maybe. Maybe something like that. Okay. Um, that said then, uh, with that kind of a... Uh, any other... Uh, any doctrine or false doctrine you heard over the weekend? <laughs> okay. Faith-promoting rumors? Well, not, this is a response to your question, but I was thinking about 
what she said. I was, thinking, I was thinking about the people in here, and I thought, well, maybe they'll be blessed even more because they couldn't be there. They're being obedient. <laughs> They'll have some kind of blessing to compensate. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we, we were just happy that we weren't all thrown up because the, the, the video was off, and so we couldn't look at it. And, and it was so quiet that if any kid made any noise, you couldn't hear it. Uh, it was just really hard. Had they zoomed in on me when I was... Yes, yes they did. I, I thought about that after. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Four beats <laughs> I'd have done something extra. I don't know. No. Yeah. Well, I think in DMC, you know, how we're similar, um, the gifts of the Spirit, where we talked about it, it's kind of like the gifts of the Spirit here. We're similar in the Sea Christ, we're similar in the Spirit of So somewhere in Yes. Tr- believe on our words. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> excited about that. By the way, any other mission calls? Remember, because there are 20,000 currently have received their mission calls. She's not going until September. Because we're still, still trying to get everybody through the system. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Have they been called? Yeah, I think, it, but the, but we haven't heard where yet. Maybe they left for their mission. Never, you never. Okay, maybe we'll find out at the oral final next week. Okay, that said, uh, I ran across some things that I thought were very poignant. Uh, this one jumped out at me. Uh, not it, something similar to what I might hear in my office. Experts uh, say I can appear charismatic by setting high expectations. Or maybe you can improve your charisma by fixing your character flaws instead of making me work harder. <laughs> now nah, I'm fairly sure the problem with my charisma is on your end. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you'd just kind of be better, I'd be okay. Okay? Um, and then I, I like it. It looks kind of fun. A friend of mine took that picture. <laughs> If you're not sure how to spell Mayans, look at your bumper sticker. (laughs) Which is helpful because if there wasn't the bumper sticker, you're just like, you're not under... I guess they would be girding up their loins. <sighs> All right. Uh, along with that, uh, let me just mention something that I'm kind of always uh, aware of. And some of what we're going to talk about today in the last year, kind of year and a half, these are some, some things that we've talked about a little bit before, but I want to come back and revisit them against the backdrop of what we're talking about. And one is... Uh, the 10-year rule uh, that I've, I've tend to find in listening to the general authorities and in listening to the prophet. 
Because, for instance, I find it's interesting when the when uh, the direction really started coming hard on uh, family home evening, especially on Monday nights. It was within that next uh, ten years that we started getting all the turmoil between the '60s and the '70s and the, all of those kind of things. So it's a uh, um, it's like the apostles are, are talking about stuff, but look what happens in the next decade after they make the pronouncement. They're seen afar off. That's why they're the watchmen on the tower. Okay? And then we get uh, Revelation on the priesthood, 1978. At a time when, really, the pressure on the church didn't seem to be as great as it had been a year, at about ten years earlier. What happens ten years later? Africa explodes in terms of growth and, and all that. And so just that they saw what was coming and what was going to be needed. Okay? Now, today we're going to be talking about family proclamation. That comes in 1995. What comes 10 years later? All the battle that uh, with, with same-sex marriage that is now intensifying... Uh, and in some ways, it's almost like the battle is about lost at, at this point. Um, now, uh, along with that, though, just kind of a little reminder to ourselves. So, what do you think was being talked about 2003, 10 years earlier? So, so that we're now in, it's like, okay, 10 years later... Because from time to time, I will go back specifically because I want to just kind of see what what uh, the prophet was saying 10 years earlier. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, that was in there. That, there were a couple of themes, and that was one. I almost put th this one up there, Sister Jones. Okay? Any ideas? When did the document come out about Jesus It was like uh, about a year or two later. When did I think? 77? Okay. Well, let me just let me just share with you President Hinckley, October two thousand three. Okay. We of the First Presidency are constantly dealing with a great variety of problems. They come before us every day. I like this. At the close of one particularly difficult day, I looked up at the portrait of Brigham Young that hangs on my wall. I asked, Brother Brigham, what should we do? I thought I saw him smile a little. And then he seemed to say, in my day, I had problems enough on my own. Don't ask me what to do. This is your watch. <laughs> ask the Lord whose word this really is. And this, I assure you, is what we do and must always do. By the way, those of you, if you weren't, you had to be listening carefully. The last few things of what Elder Christofferson said yesterday, he quoted section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now I'll have to after all the testimonies that have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all that we give that he lives. And then he concluded with, I bear you the same testimony. Um, I believe and testify that this it is the mission of this church to stand as an ensign to the nations and a light to the world. We have been placed upon us a great and all-encompassing mandate from which we cannot shrink nor turn aside. We accept the mandate and we are determined to fulfill it. With the help of God, we shall do it. Okay? October 
What are we hearing? Missionary work. There are forces all around us that would deter us from this effort. The world is constantly crowding in on us. From all sides we feel the pressure to soften our stance. To give in here a little and there a little. We must never lose sight of our objective. We must keep before us the goal which, which the Lord has set for us. I just think this is amazing. What has happened in this last year? Yeah. Yeah, in a big way in London. Yeah, absolutely. history have we had this high a profile? Ever. You know, from, even from, you know, even just from the Book of Mormon musical stuff, I mean, we have never had this type of profile from, from Mitt Romney's candidacy. We're, now it says we're going to be brought out of obscurity and out of darkness, and now we're in the light, and that is a double-edged sword, is it not? On one side, the ability of the church to move forward and do everything that we're doing and have that kind of influence in the world. And on the other side, here, here comes the attacks. Here comes the criticism. Here comes the, th the threatening way in which... Because uh, so often I see some of those attacking the church and they're threatened because we're, they're not doing what we're doing. Uh, and we're supposed to be a miserable little cult of of automatrons that are just not uh, very smart and are just and we look kind of happy and we look kind of successful and we look kind of normal and we look like we're doing the right things and we're serving and we're blessing and that isn't supposed to be happening and that's jangling against what it is that, that people are seeing so we're out of obscurity and buckle up Yeah. To what they try to do is something good and not be, you know, boisterous about it, and then they're persecuted. 
Christianity is also under attack. Uh, and again, some of the stuff we're about to talk about leads right into the attacks that are coming because Christianity itself is being labeled as kind of a, a narrow-minded, judgmental kind of thing. Yeah. And some are. And, and there are some that aren't helping the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a real meat here. Um, okay, so with that in mind here, Dan, let's get to 1995. Uh, and the church is going to issue the proclamation on the family. Um, and which is, I find fascinating as I'm looking at this, uh, is that there wasn't a lot in here that's earth shattering, is there? There's not a, not a lot of deep doctrinal kind of thing. And in fact, President Hinckley at the time in the Relief Society meeting in which he's, he uh, first read this was the fact that this was a reaffirmation of what we believe. But I think it's one of those things that we're being willing to put out there and say, who are we as Latter-day Saints? What is it that we believe about uh, what is needed? And, and this is the best statement. This, in some ways, this may be even more powerful and pertinent today, even than if you whip out the articles of faith on somebody. This is where we are. This is what we believe. And everything stems from this. Okay? We, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles, solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the Creator's plan, the eternal destiny of His children. Now, can you imagine, imagine if this is, this is a statement that we put out in 1955? <laughs> that, that people be like, and... It'd be like, we believe rocks are rocks. <laughs> okay. I mean, 1995, we're getting a portent of what is coming. But even then, this isn't a real... How is this being received? How is this today? Whoa. Okay. Now, this next part I want to touch base on. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents and as such has a divine nature and a divine destiny. Now, in looking at human nature though, I thought I would go to my, my source for, for that. <laughs> Whenever there's any doubt on, on uh, things like uh, human destiny and all that, I always go to Calvin and Hobbes because Cal Calvin arches. was an expert on all this. They're arches, aren't they? Yes, there are. <laughs> I recognize that. Been there. Okay, so here. Do you think?
think babies are born sinful? That they come into the world as sinners? Uh, no, I just think they're quick studies. <laughs> Whenever you discuss certain things with animals, you get insulted. <laughs> and then this one. And I love, I love this way of thinking. If heaven is good, and I like to be bad, how am I supposed to be happy to be there? <laughs> how will you get to heaven if you like to be bad? Well, let's say I didn't do what I wanted to do. Like, suppose I led a blameless life, and suppose I denied my true dark nature. <laughs> I'm not even sure I have that much imagination. <laughs> well, maybe heaven is a place where you're allowed to be bad. <laughs> Let's say I didn't do what I wanted to do. I led a blameless life. And suppose I denied my true dark nature. <laughs> how, many, how many teenagers do we have in the church that work on this one? <laughs> Okay, so let's say that I'm going to church and I'm doing all this stuff, but I really don't want to be doing all of this stuff. But I'm doing it anyway. Am I going to be then happy in heaven because I just kind of did all the right stuff even though I really wanted to do something else? Yeah, so maybe they get one of the bad, one of the party mansions or something. <laughs> Yes, you are. Does that make sense? She, she says, we're, aren't we going to be in heaven with those that we are most comfortable with? I mentioned before uh, the, the good friend of mine that had the, uh, the vision, I think. She calls it a dream. I think it was closer to a vision and it encapsulated more what I thought described judgment day and, and heaven. And, Remember that she said that she was, she, she saw herself almost like Joseph F. Smith standing in a field and she saw just an endless amount of people standing in front of her. And then she noticed on one side of the field she saw a light and she saw that it was the Savior coming down and he stood there in the field. And she said there was a large group of people that like, like the children yesterday with Elder Christofferson just came. They were drawn to him, wanted to be close to him, and pressed in around him. Then she said there was another group that kind of stood back a ways and just watched from a distance. And then she said there was another third that ran to get out of that presence. And I thought that is maybe the best description of Judgment Day I've ever heard. That I think we're comfortable that we're going to be comfortable there. So when we when we go back here, we talk about each is a beloved spirit, son and daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and a destiny. Now, uh, young women's leaders and young women, you talk with them about I, uh, you know, I have a divine nature. What do we mean when we say that? What does it mean to have a divine nature? It's almost trite in the church in the way that we say it. Yeah. I was just going to say I grew up in a Catholic home. 
Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because if we have a divine nature, it doesn't just it doesn't just mean that we will do what God does. It means we think what he thinks. And we desire what he desires. And we have the joy that he has because we do what he does, we think what he thinks, we desire what he desires. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of away from that yet. What a struggle that is. So when you picture divine nature, what do you picture? If you're picturing His divine nature, what are you picturing? Yeah. Totally different scene than this world can possibly provide. That the we're not we it's it's a little hard living in a in a celestial world, right? To go trying to somehow picture what that's going to look like, not just what it looks like, but who he is and what he thinks and how he does things and all of that. Okay. Yeah. I think we have a sense of it in ourselves, though, because any decision or relationship we have, we have that kind of devil angel thing. We have our human reaction, yeah. but we have that better self in us. Do we get those little images from time to time? We get those flashes of those times when we feel good, and and it's like so. So is that our true? Is our true nature? Is it true nature the one that is our natural man? Is our true nature the divine nature inside of us? And we get those little flashes. Okay, listen to. Uh, we go to. Uh, we get this, by the way, from Peter. And I always mourn the fact that with Peter, we never got a whole lot of his writings. You know, those that were compiling, I think Peter wrote a lot more than what we have. Uh, those that were compiling because of where most of the ministry was, they were able to have access to more of Paul's writings, and they made sure that Paul's writings ended up being canonized. I just think a lot of Peter's writings, for whatever reason, didn't make it, uh, probably because it would have shook things up probably too much. Uh, because Peter's just the most lyrical, beautiful writer uh, of all that we have in the New Testament. This, this is this is Second uh, Peter one. Whereby, in fact, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 3, according to the divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And remember, the, the word virtue here is really power. Whenever you see virtue, slide in the word power because that's the Hebrew or that's the Greek word and the Hebrew word matches that as well. Okay? So think power whenever you see virtue especially in the Old and New Testament. Um, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and power, uh, whereby 
uh, are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. That by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. And then he's going to say, given all diligence, add to your faith power. And to power, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. Do you see where where, uh, Joseph got this? Okay. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. This section 4. Brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, the, the word divine has two meanings. One, one is to discern. To divine it like a divining rod. We're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah, but, perfect. But with the, with the cleansing that comes to us, we can become divine like the character of the of the celestial. And listen to the way that he's that Peter's putting it. He's talking to each of us and he's saying, Get, we're, we're giving great and precious promises. And if you will take advantage of these promises, then he says, by these promises... You may be, and this is a very interesting phrase, you can become partakers of the divine nature. That divine nature is out there. It also lives inside of us. But he says, if you take advantage of the promises and covenants given to you, you will be a partaker. You will receive and touch and connect with and draw on and be introduced and be empowered by the divine nature. In a sense, I believe that that's what happens when we talk about the woman that is that reaches out to touch the hem of the garment. We've talked about how the Savior felt it, and it says virtue left him into her, and it was that power that empowered her cleansing, but also she was being filled with and a partaker of divine nature. And he needed her to know that. Your faith hath made thee whole. Jairus, her faith has made her whole. Let her back into the synagogue. She's different. She walks away. And I believe that there are moments when we have a chance and we sit in inspired meetings and we feel and are touched by the Spirit and we should at that moment recognize that we are at that moment we are partakers of what? Divine nature. And it awakens something inside of us. And it's like a connection there. Like a slumbering divineness inside of us that at that moment gets jarred loose and wake up and wakes up and goes, what? Yeah.
essence, you know, that we are blind if we aren't doing these things, but it's because, you know, that our sins have been purged, how I take that, that they were purged from the atonement, and that we're not realizing that we're taking of that, and that if we were to allow them. Great point. In fact, couldn't, couldn't we even take it farther? And if, if someone were to say to you, what is the purpose of the atonement? What does the atonement do? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't a very clean, straightforward answer be the purpose of the atonement is to help us become partakers of the divine nature and to fulfill our divine destiny? That is what the atonement does. It's a simple and clear... What is the atonement? It helps us become a partaker of the divine nature. That's like scripture Moses six sixty one that reminds us these things are in us. We don't have to go shopping for right? them somewhere else. Yes. We don't try to put them on top of us. They are already in us. Well, and that's why that's why what he's saying is that each is a beloved spirit, son and daughter of heavenly parents, and and by virtue of that birth. By virtue of our heritage and our parentage, as such, each already has a divine nature and a divine destiny. What about those that are out there breaking every commandment possible? Does there live within them a divine nature? Do they have a divine destiny? They are the blind that will not see. What great blessings are sitting out there, and they are so covered up in all of this earthness that they're going to be unable to see that. And that is the incredible tragedy. So each is a beloved spirit, son and daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. And then he's going to go on to say, gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal. This was one of the, the little doctrinal insights that came from this. The gender was a premortal, meaning even as intelligences and spirit children that we already had gender. Premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. Does that not mean that we were born and knew our gender and that the only way to change is by reprogramming ourselves? In a sense. Yeah. I just got a little My neighbor. Off, but just as some My neighbor is a transvestite. He's a she-nun. Yes. Hang with, hang with me. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. We're going to get there. That's where we're landing. Because that's that's part of the discussion. That is that is. Where are we going? Okay. Now, let's see. Uh, let's see. Um, I like this quote from President Uchtdorf. Each of us is under a divinely spoken obligation. This is part of the divine nature. To reach out with pardon and mercy and to forgive one another. There is a great need for this Christ-like attributes in our families, in our marriages, in our wards and states, in our communities, and in our nations. 
We will receive the joy of forgiveness in our own life when we are willing to extend that joy freely to others. Lip service is not enough. We need to purge our hearts and minds of the feelings and thoughts of bitterness and let the light and love of Christ enter in. As a result, the Spirit of the Lord will fill our souls with the joy accompanying divine peace of conscience. Part of accessing the divine nature is a divine peace of consciousness. And conscience. Part of accessing the divine nature is being filled with the joy and love that comes from extending that love to others. When we were talking last week about Elder Holland and the, and the parable of the vineyard, and he's talking about how those that came early were going to be given a, a certain wage, but those who come late get the same wage. And when everybody else is struggling with it, he says, why would you resent me being kind? Well, it's our responsibility to also be kind. Now, along with that then, let me, let me kind of go back over, and this is probably, this is, I use this constantly in my practice. And we've talked about this before, but let me just remind the family is ordained of God. Marriage between man and woman is essential. Children are entitled to birth within the bonds of matrimony. That's why the church pushes so hard, for instance, on uh, adoptions. Because they believe that children should be able to be born into that kind of experience. And by the way, and, and I don't want to trample any uh, tender feelings here... But in the church, when it comes to unwed mothers, who do we struggle most with? Is it the unwed mother? Yes, it's the grandparents. That's a hard one. And I know some of you have made that decision, and it's not, it's not our place to, to judge, but that's why it is that the church is so anxious to say, adopt, adopt, adopt. Well, that's my grandchild. Yeah, give that grandchild the best shot. Yeah. In our state, and we they had somebody from social services come out and talk about it. And what they said was that depending on the attitude of the mother of the daughter who was unwed, for the bad ones, determine whether or not she gave the child up for adoption. I know, and and that's why I say some of you I know have made that decision. I don't want to touch. I don't want to. Walk, that's delicate ground because that's a each decision is one between you and Heavenly Father. But that's that's where we try and go with this. Now, by divine design, and th this I think has enormous implications. If you'll see this for what it is, by divine design, fathers are fathers have three injunctions. Fathers are to preside, protect, provide. Preside, and 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 mothers are responsible for nurture. Okay, now a couple things that come out of this, and again, I know I'm repeating myself, but let's just remind ourselves. In the church, as we have a tendency to look at the word preside, and and if we're going to use a model for preside, we're going to use the model of who do we know that presides? 
bishops, state presidents, they preside. Fascinating, isn't it, that the last line there says, uh, fathers and mothers are obligated to help each other as equal partners. If, if a bishop is going to preside, are his counselors an equal? They're not. And a state president has wonderful counselors, calls the best men he knows to be counselors and advisors, but at the end of the day, there is one presiding authority in the state, and it's the state president. His counselors are not equal to him. So sometimes when we get caught trying to say, well, a husband and wife should be like a bishop and his first counselor, or like the president and the, and the vice president. That's not what's being said here. So sometimes we're, so somehow this presiding in this case, talking about father's responsibility to protect, preside, and, and provide, is not meant to be a one-up, one-down situation. In fact, the best description that we've come from uh, is the idea that per perhaps this presiding is best described as being the watchman on the tower. Okay, So, what does that then say? And here, here I think is the powerful piece to this. What would we then say, what does that do to the nurturing power of the mother? Where does that put it? Equal. Equal. Now, let that sink in for a second. If we are saying that nurture is equal to preside, the, the power inherent in nurture is equal to preside. Can I make a suggestion to you? We just talked about divine nature, didn't we? And thinking about, for instance, the presiding authority, an apostle in our midst this last weekend. Did we have a presiding authority who was there to preside? Yes. In inviting all of the kids to come up and, get, and personally shake his hands, what did he also do? Nurture. Isn't that the divine nature? Isn't divine nature one half preside, one half nurture? One half administer, one half love. And that those two come together to form the divine nature. Does that make sense? So when we talk about a, a marriage between husband and wife, what are we talking about? That together, what do they do? They, don't they form the divine nature? Preside meets an equal portion of nurture and those two together can then move forward. How about that? That's why one is not without the other. And one is not above each other. Those are two parts of the divine nature coming together. In an imperfect world where we are not yet completely full of divine nature in and of ourselves, but there it is. So then we say to a single mom, for instance, I'm struggling, I'm doing the best I can, but half of my divine nature 
isn't there for whatever reason, so I'm doing this on my own. What do we say to them? Yeah, you have the ability by virtue of all of the presiding and things that are available to you that happen within home teachers and bishops and quorums and all of that. Okay? Yes, I know he did. I'm not sure how they do it, but it's, a, it's an incredible uh, uh, thing. In fact, um, Laura, can I pick on you? Would, would, would you say... Laura, Laura is the... Uh, she, she's our single adult rep for Plano State. And you said something beautifully, I thought, to the bishops yesterday about being one-armed. Could you share that? Would you do that? Because actually, President Hall came up to me after and he said, that was beautifully done. Because that, that explained, it, explained it beautifully to these bishops. Well, a lot of times people look at those of us that are single and, and see us differently when actually it's just, we are the same person that we were before whatever happened to make us not married anymore, whether it was death or... But it's like being without an arm. You still have the same amount of things that you have to do, and you're still the same person inside. You just don't have an arm. Whether you didn't like that arm, whether you that arm just didn't get along, or whether that arm was literally cut off and taken away from you, it doesn't matter. You're still a person. You still have your divine nature, but you're still yeah. you don't have the capability to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. But isn't there a lot of pain specifically for Oh, absolutely. They do. And, and so you're still trying to find, that's why within, as we're trying to understand the divine nature, if you can see the two pieces that go with this and the need to have, make sure that both pieces are there. Okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons why, and, and I've, again, I, I've told the story before. Let me just reiterate it. Uh, I always loved the story of uh, when, when the general authorities used to take their turns in the church office building. Uh, who's going to take the, the walk-ins? Anybody that wants to talk to a GA? And uh, President Harold B. Lee talked about taking his turn. It was his turn to take the walk-ins, and he got a call, so there's a couple that wants to meet with you. Yeah, they've got some questions, send them up to my office, up come this couple, husband and wife sit down there, and, and the husband says, tell her she needs to do what, I'm, what I say. Oh and he gosh. said, what? He says, I'm the priesthood holder, I'm the patriarch in this home, and, and I've made some decisions and she won't go along with it. Tell her she needs to do what I say. Now the, the priesthood has spoken. And President Lee said, I cannot tell her that because, brother, you have no priesthood. And he said, I was ordained and I can show you my, you know, my line of authority. And then he quotes section 121. When the priesthood is used to try and exercise unrighteous dominion, amen to the priesthood of that man. And brother, right now you have no priesthood. Because you're trying to use it to control It's an equal, it's an equal thing here. Preside and 
are two halves of the divine nature, I think, that come together to provide the kind of thing that we're talking about. Okay. Comments? Make sense? Yeah. <coughs> But you know what? In my office, though, I will, I will, uh, I will ask couples. If you have to make a large decision, how do you make the big decisions? How do you decide to buy a car? How do you decide to buy a house? How do you decide where you're going to, where the job is going to be? And and those that are real, real struggling often will say, "Well, we talk about it, but sometimes somebody's got to step up, so the husband's going to make the final decision." Let's get out the family proclamation, dude. <laughs> Because this, this needs to this, you are two vice presidents of a corporation here, and you need you need the operations manager to get together with with uh, HR to make the decision about how this is going to work. Okay. All right. So, and by the way, we warn individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, or fail to. Fulfill family responsibility will one day stand accountable before God. Further, this is where we're going. We warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals and communities and nations the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. We call upon responsible citizens and officers of government everywhere to promote these measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family. Okay, now... So let me just ask you Mormons, why is it that you would deny two people that love each other the ability to get married? If they want to marry one another uh, and they are the same sex, what difference does that make to your marriage? Why would you be so threatened because this gay couple wants to go off and get married? That's pretty judgmental. It's pretty mean. It's pretty mean-spirited. It is. Uh, I just can't believe that you would do that. It's also making judgment. And now you're judging them. You're saying that you're better than they are. <coughs> Why in the world? And and one of the things that we have done consistently in this class, and I hope this is one of those things. Always, we have to be ready with an answer. Peter talks about the fact that. You have to be ready with an answer for why you believe what you believe. And if you're just gonna, if you're gonna give them a muddled answer, or and this may not be a neighbor, this could be a anybody else. It could be your kids. What answer are you gonna give them? Why would you hate somebody like that enough to not be? Yeah. Sure. Well, but, but what is better? Uh, this, this loving gay couple that's going to love their child as opposed to this family over here that argues all the time, who's to say that one is better than the other? What did she say? She, she, she said, go ahead and say it again, Lenata. We are... 
That's right. We're we're going to be normal. That, that's right. And so and so the response to that is is just what I said, which is these guys are a loving couple. They're going to take care of this child, make sure they have all all the advantages of life. And these guys fight all the time, and they're screaming and yelling. Who's to say one's better than the other? Yes, that's right. I said, I think the Bible requires us to love one another, not tolerate. So be nice to me and love me. Don't judge me. Well, it's not the ten suggestions. Well, uh, it is. And we love one another and we keep all of the commandments and we're married. So why are you getting on my case? You, you. (laughs) See, See where they go? Yeah. I'm about to probably interrupt some studies, but... It's never stopped you before. Gays have as much rights as I do. And anybody saying that they don't is wrong because they're saying that they have their rights to believe the way they do. Sure. And gays don't. I have gay friends. Yeah. And I support their decisions. If they want to talk religion, I will tell them that this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah. They have sex that even the church says to accept them. Okay. That's right. And we're going to go there. Yeah. Yes, they do. So there's something there's something missing, right? So what answers are you going to give them? Because these are pervasive, and, it's, and these voices are going to get louder. Yeah. Uh, and, and see, we have that understanding, and that's why I'm saying. So, so we come from that understanding. The question is, how do we translate it in, in the way that we're going to say? Because we're going to we're going to be talking to people who don't have that understanding. They'll quote the animal kingdom. Well, yeah, I, I know. Well, and see, and you can go to that place and say, "This is just what I believe. You believe what I believe." Now you're getting closer. See, and you're getting closer. See where we struggle? No, I want to be married. I have a right to be married. Yeah. No, I don't want separate, but I want I want equal, equal. I want to be treated normal because I always feel different. Yeah, and I don't want that either. What about our nation being created under God? And if we disobey his commandments, our country will be destroyed. And, and they will say, you know what? I go to church. I go to church every week. And, and my preacher says there's nothing wrong with being gay. And they're proving it from the Bible. 
Well, it depends on the interpretation. Hold on a second. Okay. So, so I see. See where we struggle. So the question is again: we, we are we are being brought out of obscurity and out of darkness. We're being placed out there, and here come the questions. And you need to know what you believe and how you're going to say it. Now, let, let me throw a, a couple possibilities at you. <laughs> I want to give uh, uh, two, uh, two attorneys' uh, beliefs on this, and, they're bo- and one's a member of the church and one's not. And, and it gives you an idea, because it, it's like you know it, but you don't know how to exactly articulate it. So let me, give you, let me throw out an idea about how you do that. Okay? In Canada where same-sex marriage has been in place for a decade or so, 80% of married same-sex households with children in the home are female couples. Okay? This should surprise no one. Two women whose relationships are treated as a marriage and who want to have... This is a guy from uh, uh, BYU Law School. uh, And who want to have a child or children, which they raise together, as though both of them were uh, parents, will have the means to do so readily at hand. It's easier for two women to be able to have a baby and, and all that than it is two guys. Okay? This is not always the case with a child's father, let alone non-fathers who like to adopt. Hence, just the vast majority of single parents are involved in raising their children or single mothers. The vast majority of same-sex couples raising children will be two female couples, not two male couples. And that, that's true. About 80% of those within same-sex marriages who are raising children are going to be two women. Uh, even though Cindy and I have some friends of two guys that have, have, have adopted. Okay. Accordingly, the ideal which will take a bigger hit in society's promotion of same-sex parenting, just as the ideal that took a bigger hit from early promotion of single parenting, and on its way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, it is. It's September. Here it comes. So how best should we handle these situations? Well, and, and that's kind of where we're going. So it, in other words, I think you need to have in your mind uh, what I call the elevator speech. You know, you have like 30 seconds. You're Mormon. What about? Or a neighbor or something like that. How do you respond to this? And I think part of this is you have the, you have the family proclamation, but I think you need to be able to say... It's not a matter, uh, our belief is, and you can be, we can have a difference of opinion, but our belief is that traditionally kids, if a marriage is put together in the best interest of raising children, that we believe that is best done in a, in a, uh, with, a uh, father, with an involved father and mother. We do. Well, what about, and they will do this, and, and, I, and I used the argument earlier, um, and we've actually talked about this. Sometimes you get the argument that we're, they're going to take our, our best and compare it with their worst. So is it better for a couple to be uh, two, two loving same-sex partners as opposed to a, a married couple that's fighting like cats and dogs? Which one is going to have the greatest effect on the kids? True, that, that's true. But if we're going to take about on average that we believe that, that uh, God has, has set it up in such a way so that a, 
a healthy father and mother are best suited to be able to sacrifice in such a way that we raise healthy kids. That marriage is not about the fulfillment of the parents. Marriage is about the blessing and raising of children. And that's kind of what, what he is saying here. It would, it would also obscure opposite-sex parenting as an ideal form of parenting, having erased it entirely from our legal framework. We know kids do best when raised by their biological parents. So enshrining the revisionist law of marriage into law would have the effect of causing a greater number of children to be raised in less than optimal family structures, increasing social disorder in the process. We believe that society will be worse off in where we are systematically removing the father on a regular basis, um, and that the result of that is a generation of kids that overall are worse off, and that we will reap the consequences of that as a society. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or the other thing that we're getting now is uh, in places like India and China, where they've been practicing. We only want to have sons, and we're killing off our daughters. So now we have large amounts of men and no. No female uh, influence in there. And now they're getting these gangs of destructive guys that are just running around being stupid. Because they're, not, they're missing the nurturing side of that. They only, only have one part, yeah. two last things here. Two last thoughts. Number one, so the church statement when it comes to those uh, so, so understanding what we understand. The question is, how are we then approaching those that struggle with same-sex attraction? Uh, church, church statement. The church recognizes that those of its members who are attracted to others of same-sex experience experience deep emotional, social, and physical feelings. The church distinguishes between feelings and inclinations on the one hand and behavior on the other. It's not a sin to have the feelings, only yielding to temptations. There is no question that this is difficult, but church leaders and members are available to help lift, support, and encourage fellow members who wish to follow church doctrine. 
Their struggle is our struggle. Their struggle is our struggle. Those in the church who are attracted to someone of the same sex but stays faithful in church's teachings can be happy during this life and perform meaningful service in the church. They can enjoy full fellowship with other church members, including attending and serving in the temples, ultimately receiving all the blessings afforded to those that live the commandments. And again, I think what you're going to find is that uh, if we get some of the changes with Boy Scouts, I think we're going to struggle a little bit with what do we think and how do we feel and how do we approach this. And I think it's going to become a bigger issue. That it is possible for us to slide into a judgmental mode instead of loving like crazy these people and helping bring them in. That's, that's going to be our struggle. So that's number one. Number two, marriage is about sac- jointly sacrificing, providing equal parts, nur- nur- nurturing and protection and providing to provide the kind of stable place that children can grow and thrive. Marriage, the protections of marriages were extended for the children's benefit, not for the kids. I know that as I work with couples through divorces, I know what a judge is going to do. The judge is going to say, what's in the best interest of the kid when it comes to custody and it comes to making sure of child support payments and all that stuff. Judges start with what's in the best interest of the kids. We believe that uh, same-sex marriage is not in the best interest of kids. It's not. That is going to be happening the way the Lord has prescribed it and established it. I don't think we have to apologize for that, but that's going to put us at odds with the rest of the world where we are out of obscurity and out of darkness and that that light is going to be shine on us and I think we need to stand with our heads held fine. We just say, we believe that marriage is the best setting up for kids and that a traditional marriage is going to be the best place for that to happen. And that, and that marriage is about children and it's not about the fulfillment for the adults. That happens as they sacrifice and fulfill their responsibility. Okay? Uh, finally, uh, one last thought before we, we finish. I do believe under that, under that circumstance, uh, Elder Christofferson mentioned something yesterday, and I think it's going to be part of, and I want to do just a little bit of a final thought word play on that. He mentioned the fact that because of the changing of the missionary age, that our homes need now to become home MTCs. That the idea is that they become mission training centers that are getting kids ready as soon as they walk out of graduation almost, that they're ready to then step almost immediately uh, into the MTC. Uh, I believe, that, let me add one thing to that. I think homes need to be MTCs, but they also need to be LTMs. When I was in high school, those of us who were going on missions went to the mission home. A week of fun in the sun, uh, all right, it was pretty intense, and then off we would go. Those, that, those of us that were going to English-speaking missions uh, would go out immediately into the field. Those that were learning uh, languages would then go to what we called the LTM. And there was a language training mission at, in, in Rexburg and one in Provo. That was the LTM, to learn a language. I believe with all my heart, brothers and sisters, that our homes need to be LTM. They need to be language training mission. Not for Spanish or French or German, but for the Spirit. 
Our homes have to be placed where they learn the language of the Spirit. They hear it from us. They hear us talking about the Spirit, how to recognize the Spirit, how to converse with the Spirit, how to speak to others with the Spirit, how to respond to the Spirit. Our homes have to be LTMs where the Spirit is the language being taught. And whether we are raising kids or whether our, it's our own home, it needs to with no kids in it, it needs to be an LTM. Because I'm always amazed when I have kids coming in that I talk to in my office and I will say to them, what does the Spirit feel like? Have you ever gotten an answer? What, what would it feel like? How would you know? And there are some kids that are very quick to be able to say, I got an answer to do this when I was 14, when I was reading the Book of Mormon, I got in and then. And then I've got kids who just look at me and young adults. And even young, young marriage will look at me and I'll say, when was the last time you got an answer to the Spirit? They don't have an answer. I guess it's when things happen. I don't know. Have you ever had an a, 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 uh, answer to prayer? Well, no. That's where we need to go. That's why I believe our homes need to be LTMs, where the Spirit is trained. And I believe in, in kind, of, kind of closing up the Doctrine and Covenants. This is the place you learn. The Book of Mormon is the place where it, is, it, it breathes the Spirit. And you can feel it and soak it in. Doctrine and Covenants is that presiding part of that piece that gives us the wise and fills in so much about how we do things on a regular basis. And it's such a sacred book and such a sweet spirit. And in our home, LTN, I think we need to be able to use these revelations given to prophets who had questions. And, the, and each revelation that we received in the Doctrine and Covenants was an answer to a question. If we would have a home LTM, we have to know how to ask questions. We have to know how to get answers to questions. That's the whole basis of everything we do. I pray that we can do that and, and enjoy all the beautiful, sweet gospel principles that live in this book. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.